So as you know, for a month we've been announcing that the bishop of our denomination is here, and as you've learned his, over the last couple of weeks, his name is Cliff, and some of you got to meet him, and it's been a great privilege having him in our home for the last couple of days, and, and integrating with him, and networking with him at the meetings, and uh, he's just a wonderful man. And uh, what's so great about Cliff is that, you know, we talked in First Peter about elders and authority, not lording it over those who are underneath them, and not being... Uh, found a sort of gain, like trying to make money off of the power and all that. He's exemplary in his uh, character for that. Um, when he mingles amongst us and other people, you'd never know he was the bishop. You'd think he was just someone like myself, just like leading a church, and he treats everyone with total care, love and respect, and it's just a wonderful, wonderful to see that. So he leads uh, as Christ would want, which was with servanthood. He leads with, as being a servant and not... Uh, as someone who expects to be given all the uh, all the um, praise and glory, so it's just wonderful. And so we're grateful to have him here. And so we'll just welcome up, welcome him up, and uh, come on up. Uh, and I'll just tell one quick story. I was in the bathroom with the two boys, Jason and Jacob, two days ago before he came, and I said, "Do you guys know who he is?" And Jace kind of stared at me and. Jacob, the little guy, because he kind of says his R's a little funny, he says, he's the boss of the church. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know where he heard that, but I was like, he got it. like, you're right, honey, he is the boss of the church. So little Jake, Jacob's got it figured out at four years old, so it's great. So, yeah. Good morning, good morning. He gives me this really nice talk about servant, and I made him go down and get me water downstairs. And, and fishy crackers, too, nice touch. <laughs> Just in case. So let me start with, uh, can I say thank you first uh, for the warm, really warm greeting. Uh, just met quality person after quality person so far. Um, thank you for what just happened too, for the worship. Uh, thank you for that. And uh, love the flute too, eh? That's, that's beautiful. And thank you for what happened in, um, in communion. I, I love what you just did, the opportunity to stop as a family and to do what you did. There's something very real about that and very significant in that. Thank you for having a bald guy do announcements. I think that's awesome. I think. <laughs> did you? I didn't. I did it yesterday. It's not as shiny as it could be. So thank you. And uh, you know, I've had just a couple of days to spend with Denise and uh, Andrew, and uh, they have a beautiful family, but they love you, you know, and that's kind of a cool thing to hear. Um, I travel a little bit in this job, and you start hearing all the stuff, you know? And I didn't hear stuff, I just heard love and respect and, and excitement for what you're about. And uh, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for letting me be part of this. So Luke 18, uh, i got to give you a confession. So I have this travel Bible that I travel with, and the print gets smaller every year. And, uh, and I brought my glass case, but you're supposed to put glasses in the glass case. So I didn't bring glasses. And when I opened it yesterday morning, it just washed over. You know, thank you very much. You guys are very kind. Are they readable? Yeah. Oh, let me just tell. Oh, good job. Three, three in one. Are they yours or your wife's? Oh, they're three in one. I put my wife's three in ones on, and I didn't know they were hers, and I thought they were mine. And I did this, and I'm looking down, and I'm thinking I'm blinder than I was ten minutes ago. So Luke 18. How do they look, Billy? Really? Debonair. Debonair. <laughs> How much can you do with a ball guy, eh? Like, uh, really. 
So I have to look like this to be able to see down, right? Like that? Okay. So he told his disciples one day, Jesus said, um, a story to show that they should never give up. They should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city. And he said, uh, and he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman, she's driving me crazy. I'm going to see what she, that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to those his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth, on the earth who will have, who will have faith? We'll keep going in a moment. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. That's not my story. Um, we were sort of kind of Holly and Easter uh, Catholics. That was kind of where we were raised, but not a good home. It wasn't a happy home. Uh, when I was around 11 years old, my mom was invited to a prayer meeting. Who knew, eh? And she, uh, she went to this prayer meeting, and these ladies that she was praying with just got her fired up about Jesus. And it changed our home. Like it, my mom um, is French-Canadian. I was going to say a little bit loud. Very loud. And uh, when she was angry, she was angry. And dad at that time, when I was 11, 10 years old, stopped work. And he just lay on the couch all day long. So that was kind of the home. I've, there's four siblings. I have three sisters, older sisters. Which is really rough, actually. You know, kind of a Cinderella thing going on there. Three sisters and myself. And so it wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot of money. But when Christ came into our home with my mom, the world changed. Like, it really changed. The first thing we noticed was... Uh, my mom has a, had a potty mouth. Can I say potty in church? Is that okay? I said worse. Have you? Yeah, you have a potty mouth? <laughs> so my mom had this, and, and you know, and she, and she, we would just, she would just get in. Anyway, one day she was chopping, and my sister and I were sitting in the, uh, in the living room, and uh, mom was chopping something, and we heard her smack her finger. We, like, we heard it. And we braced ourselves because we always thought this was hilarious, what was about to flow out of her, unless it was directed at you. But this time it was going to be a moment, right? And this is what we heard. Bang, 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 bang. Popped her finger and then this. Praise God, she said. <laughs> that is not the way the name of the Lord is used in our home, eh? So this was a brand new experience in our house. And my, my sister and I looked at each other and, and this was how she was responding to everything, actually. She told us stories, you know, because there was no money. We were, we were evicted, and, and, but she would tell us stories about money appearing. And she'd come home and she'd make sure we heard these stories. Um, she, she was going for groceries uh, that night. It had to be grocery night. There was no money for her to have groceries. She remembers praying. She remembers looking down at the bus stop and finding these two bills on the ground, enough to pay for all six of us for the next two weeks, you know, for groceries. And she came home, and she sat us down, and she told us the story, because this was Jesus in our lives. And it had everything to do with her new prayer life, she would say. And we'd catch her. We'd catch her in our rooms, praying. When we'd come home, she'd be sitting on our bed, we'd say, what are you doing? She'd say, well, I'm praying for you. You need to know Jesus, you know? We'd come home late at night, and, and um, my sister, who was a little bit older, 
was driving home. She worked in a bar. She was driving home really late at night. It was Ottawa. It was uh, February, and there was a snowstorm. And as she was driving, she spun out on the four uh, on the 401. She spun out, and all of a sudden, her and there was all kinds of cars around her. And she she tells the story. She says, "I saw the barrier coming. I put my hands in the air, and I looked up, and I, all of a sudden, I was going straight." Well, she was kind of flipping out about this, right? And uh, when she got home, it was late at night, my mom apparently came running downstairs and was crying. She said, what happened? What happened? She said, what do you mean, what happened? She said, God just got me out of bed to pray for you. What happened? She said. And my sister told me, and they both bawled. And my sister actually became a Christian because of that moment, you know, because of prayer. As I understand the church, as I understand what it is required of the church in Canada now, I think the first step is all about and the continuing step will be all about prayer. And I think Luke 18 brings us there. So we're going to see two stories in a row. Really quickly, we're going to see two stories in a row about prayer. Jesus talking about prayer. And that's kind of unusual that Jesus, that, uh, that a, a story, that a theme happens twice in a row in the, in, in the, in the Gospels. Here, to emphasize this prayer story, Dr. Luke puts these two stories in a row. So two stories in a row. I want you to notice this about these two stories in a row. And I, I, I'd like to mention it at the front end. Because when you think about prayer, you have a picture in your mind what it looks like, right? Where we go with it. What it does. You have something, you have some understanding of prayer. Here, in both cases, prayer is about entering. The widow, where did she go? Every day. Day after day, she, she left her home and she went to the one solution for her problem. Day after, I'm watching my hands now, you guys. Every time I'm moving my hands now, I'm thinking I'm doing something really good. <laughs> Every day she left and she would enter the proximity of this judge. And then the, two sto the story next is a, is a Pharisee and a tax collector. And they didn't stay home either. They went to the temple. I think there's a point here that we, I think we can watch and it's throughout, it's throughout the whole of Scripture that, script, that uh, prayer is entering the presence. It's entering into God. We, we use language like God, enter us, come Holy Spirit, move into our hearts. All good language. It's in Scripture. But most of the time in the writings of Paul, as a matter of fact, we are invited into Christ. You can check me on this later on. Ephesians chapter 1, you'll see this wording over and over. We are in Christ. And you'll see that language over and over. That's important. Um, I was married very well 26 years ago. I'm still married very, very well 26 years later. Beautiful person. But 26 years ago, this young guy, if you had asked him what I had done, I would have said something like this. Um, I've invited Carlene into my life. It's true, right? 24 years ago, 20 years ago, I would have used that kind of language. She's in my life. If 26, well actually it's 27 years, she's not here, it's 27 years later, um, if I'm still saying she's in my life and that's how I end the sentence, are you concerned at all about our marriage? Well, you should be, right? Because at the same time as I was inviting her into my life, what was going on? She was inviting me into hers, right? That was a pretty cool story that I was being invited into her life. My life changed. I went from 2% milk to skim milk. I went from butter to margarine, everything. And beautiful things, too, was going, were going on. Because I was being invited into her. That is maturity in Christ. It's actually the prayer journey, too. 
that you and I are invited into him. For sure we're allowed in crises and times and, and probably every single day, Lord, come into this situation. Lord, come into my life. But whose house is bigger? Like if I have to invite God into my house versus him inviting me into his, whose house is bigger? In my father's house there are all kinds of homes, many, many mansions. All kinds of space to explore and to learn. Prayer is an entering into. Come into the presence, the throne room of grace, the government of God. I will enter his gates. And you'll see it all throughout scripture. So watch for that. I, I want you to have a picture. When you, when you think about prayer, it's not just, that's not the whole story. That me, God coming into me. But as a matter of fact, it's about me moving into him. That's the journey of faith. Nice, big, beautiful place for eternity, right? Okay, first story is the widow. Why a widow? Who's a widow? What does a widow represent? In the, in the scriptures, what does a widow represent? What do you think? I hear in a few minutes you're about to pepper me with questions, so I think I'm allowed to start, okay? So widow represents... Someone's poor. So, sorry? So, Someone's poor. Poor, yeah. Someone who has no husband is exactly what a widow is. And in that culture, if you had no husband, you had no land, you could not vote, you were, you were um, under Gentile, under child, and you were kind of the bottom of the totem pole. Socioeconomically, you were at the bottom of that. And the need was great. She represented somebody who had great need. And what did she do with her great need? She had this desperate need for justice, so day after day after day, she would go to this nasty old judge. And the language of the nasty old judge is actually pretty funny. You heard it? She's driving me crazy, it says. And in fact, in fact, the second line is, I'm going to give in because she's wearing me out. You know what that is in the Greek? I'm afraid she's going to give me a black eye. I like this widow, eh? What does it tell you about the widow that a judge is concerned that he's going to get a black eye from her. What's the concern? What does it tell you about her character? Because I think that's part of what this is about in terms of prayer. I think it says something about her character. I think it says something about grit. I think this woman is gritty. Not grumpy, but gritty. There's this deep, deep resolve to follow through day after day after day. Makes me stop and think, is my prayer life gritty? You know, is my faith gritty? Uh, part, of, um, part of you, part of us, the Free Methodist Church in Canada, is that we get to be a part of helping Sri Lanka uh, move into becoming their own church. So I, I have to be in Sri Lanka. And in, you know where Sri Lanka is? Can you picture it on a map? I couldn't when I first started. Just below India. And I was with there. It's a Buddhist country. And uh, your brothers and sisters are persecuted in Sri Lanka. This one young man, he's 25 years old. His church family was praying with him. And, um, and they believed together that he was supposed to go into this little village, a little tea, plant, or tea plantation, uh, very poor, and he was going to start a church. And so he, he got on the bus, and they go up these hills, and he was reading his Bible on the bus, and, and he put his Bible back in his bag, and he got off the bus, and these kids confronted him, who were on the bus with him, apparently and said, uh, why are you bringing that Bible, that book, in our, into our village? And he said, well, I, I'm going to go visit a friend, which he was. 
And uh, they said, that book doesn't belong in our village. And they started pushing him around, and the pushing led to more, and they stripped him naked, and they beat on him, and the police report said there were 200 people in the market area that had attacked him. 200 people. And the police, they arrested him for disturbing the peace. That's right out of the book of Acts, right? I said, what did you do? This was just months later. What did you do? He said, uh, well, we started a church in that village because God told us to. We prayed. I think that's the stuff of grit, right? I know Canadians where we get a flat tire and we wonder where God was in that moment, you know? And I just wonder about my prayer life and the church's prayer life with regards to grit. Now, why did she have to come day after day after day? Why is Jesus describing that as a posture in prayer? Why did God not hear us the first time? So why day after day after day after day does he want us to come? Because the truth of the matter is, God longs for our presence, right? He longs, read the prophets. Flip back just a couple chapters to Luke 15, where it describes the prodigal story. Where the father, what did he do all day long? He waited, right? Longing for his son. And the prophets, the language of longing, God longing. There's something sad and something very beautiful about that, isn't there? Why is it sad? That God longs for our presence. Why is that sad? Because the creator of the universe, you and I can do this too. Isn't that amazing? That you and I can put off the creator of the universe and that we can create in him longing? Amazing. Why is it beautiful? Because the creator of the universe longs for you. That he, that he dreams about you. He waits for you. Isn't that amazing? Not for yous, generally. Is that good English? I guess there's kids in the room. Yous is not bad. It's bad. He uses us together, right? And you individually. He longs for you. He waits for you. To have time. Usually we give him this much, right? This woman tells us this about prayer. Prayer involves grit. And so when I look at my prayer life, I say, is it gritty? Um, those of you that have had high school students, this is usually, you've had this scene go on. Mom, where's the juice? It's in the fridge. Walk, 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 open up the fridge. It's not there. It's behind the milk. Just move the milk. It's right there. All you have to do is look, right? You've had that conversation? We do that with scripture. I think we do it in prayer. God, and, he, and, and we close the door and you did not come through. I prayed for a week, you know, or I prayed for a year. That's not grit. It's not the stuff of grit. And the coming and the coming and the coming, that's invitation. That's us remembering that the creator of the universe, he longs for you. Second story, ready? Pharisee and a sad, uh, Pharisee and um, tax collector. What does a Pharisee stand for? Who is he? Because Jesus had to pick characters, right? That, that would, would, would transcend time and geography and uh, culture. So what's a, what's a Pharisee stand for? Who's a Pharisee? What's a Pharisee today? Religious person, period. Jesus didn't like their heart, but he loved that they memorized big chunks of scripture. They would have been a great neighbor. They would have cut their grass. They would have been very legal, you know, in their approach to life. Religious people. Who's that? That's us, right? Now, when the Pharisee 
Am I in the desert? Uh, here's the Pharisee's prayer. He stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Is that a good prayer? Apparently not. But is the point that he was trying to offend God? Was this, was this Pharisee trying to offend God? What do you think? No. So why was he praying that prayer? He wasn't trying to offend God. Thank God that I'm not an adulterer or whatever else. Or if he wasn't trying to offend God, why was he praying? You know why? Because that's how he had been taught. We have lots of records of prayers from that time. Here's one. This is not in the Bible. Okay? It's not in the Bible. And if this is on record, do not just, uh, being recorded, don't just... Listen to this. Ready? It's thank God that I'm not a sinner, a Gentile, or a woman. It's not in the Bible, but they've been taught that prayer. It was something they approached. Interesting. Makes you and I stop then, because we're religious people. They he's, can represent us, this Pharisee. So it makes me ask the question, how do I pray that I've only ever been taught to pray? Is it possible there's a Canadian way of praying? Well, if you come from a different country and you observe us, the answer is yes. I've had one friend that said, it's interesting to sit with you Canadians. You sit at a table, you pray in a circle, very kindly. You all pray your whole prayer out loud, and then you move around the circle, and then the last person says amen, and then you go to Swiss Chalet or whatever it is that we go to in this area. That's, that's, Swiss Chalet is not really popular here, is it? No. That's where they go back home at the end of uh, prayer. Every time we pray, we go to Swiss Chalet. <laughs> So where do you go after? We need to pray for that. We knew to pray. Yes, we do. You don't even like the sauce? Like the sauce? Is that about You like the sauce. Okay. Just not the chicken piece? We can talk about it later. Um, I should stick to my notes. Now my hands are moving. Now you got me thinking about that again. Um, interesting, eh? Watch this one. Now, there's no judgment on this. I pray these words. I've used these prayers. I'm a Christian today because of these prayers. But as, I, but as I listen to my prayer, as I listen through people that are not from Canada's... Listen to this. Ready? Father, I just want to thank you for who you are. I just want to ask you that you would do this and just because if you just please just... We use the word just an awful lot in Canada. More than you do in regular language. Interesting. How come? Because we were taught that way. Do we really just want God just to do this one just thing? Just Is that it? And he's, is he just? He's not just. And somehow that entered our vocabulary. And somehow it's just how we were. I pray it. I know I pray that way all the time. I hear myself do it. And it's because I've been taught that way. Which makes me ask the question. How do I limit prayer? Because of what I've been taught. And how do I limit prayer because of personality? And how do I limit prayer because I'm a Canadian? And what more can be true about prayer? Is there more? I think prayer is rich and deep. Listen to the second fellow, tax collector. Who does a tax collector represent? Actually, don't answer that. I, I actually asked that question a little while ago, and someone yelled out accountant, and everyone froze. So if you're an accountant, you're not a tax collector. That's not necessarily. So tax collector, as you know, right, is somebody who is a Jewish person working for the Romans, 
So the oppressor, and usually, often, uh, they were unfair taxes. So were you liked? You weren't liked. But you were Jewish. You were part of the people. So listen to his story. Am I getting it? The tax collector stood at a distance, it says. Why is that detail given to us? Why does he stand at a distance? And then it says, he, um, he does not look up to heaven, right? Why, why is that detail there? He stood at a distance, he wouldn't look up at heaven, and he beat his breast. Why is that detail there? Why this? Why at a distance? What's that posture? And then he prayed these words. And if we're doing a word count, it's not all that impressive a word count, is it? And Pharisee, he had lots of good words. Apparently God doesn't care much about words, because listen, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So tell me about those details. Why at a distance? Why with his head down? And why beat his breast? What's that posture? What's it say about him? What's he doing? What is that? Humility. Give me a definition of humility. What is humility? I don't have any idea who said that, so anyone answer that. What is humility? Give me a definition, a working definition with our kids to understand. Absence of ego. Absence of ego. Keep going. What else would you add to that? Lack of entitlement. Lack of entitlement, yeah. Would you add anything else? Add the God factor to that, because I think that's important. So, uh, lack, of e lack of entitlement, uh, ego. What did you say? What are the words? Lack of ego. No entitlement. And what, what's true about you and God in humility? Recognize your position in reference to God. Does this represent that for that man? For sure. Somehow posture and prayer, not words. I think there's a lesson in that. That words are important to us for sure, right? We, you and I, we use words. It's how we communicate. It's what we're about. I just wonder what would happen if we thought that prayer was more than just our words. If we had a better definition than prayer than communication with God. As if the communication is words, 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 amen, restaurant, or bed, or food, Right? I just wonder if we saw prayer as more than words. Actually, I wonder what would happen if we didn't say amen at the end of our words. Because we have to use words, right? So what would happen if instead of saying amen, we stayed in that moment with him? We've used up our words. We've given them what we were supposed to give them. Our hearts in that moment. All our words. And we stayed in that moment. Because apparently, prayer is more than words, right? So I wonder what would happen if we didn't say amen. I wonder what would happen in a church life if instead, at the end of all our words, we didn't say amen and we stayed in that moment. Would he meet with us? Would he speak? Does he speak? Does he want to enjoy our presence? And the answers are yes and yes and yes, right? Scripture describes all kinds of Opportunities we have in prayer that are not just words. Scripture describes the, the shouting to the Lord, the singing, worshipping. Are the Psalms read or sung in Scripture? In practice, historically, are they sung or read? What were they designed for? 
I don't know what you're saying, but if you said sung in red, the answer is yes. Because there were worship leaders that were readers, you know, there were people like me that just could not have... And, the, and, it, and so we have record of it being read as a, as a community. Prayer, worship and prayer are really not teased apart in Scripture. They're really just not neat and tidy. There's a worship service and a prayer service. They, they were beautifully combined. And I wonder if that became more a part of our prayer lives. Shouting to the Lord, the dancing before the Lord, the laying, um, um, don't get that word wrong, wrong. Pro laying up flat before the Lord, prostrate. I got the right one, right? Prostrate before the Lord. Um, all those things are described. There's this, um, there's this one verse that says, uh, Paul's writing, and he says, I know someone who's been caught up in the third heaven. Where's the third heaven? You know? This is excellent because Andrew next week is going to preach an awesome sermon on the third heaven. It's going, you're going to love it. It's going to, you're going to take notes. It'll be, it'll be ground. Oh, not next week. Following week. We'll do it then. We don't have any idea what that passage is. Like it, I've heard interesting creative sermons on it. But at the end of the day, it's never expounded on in Scripture, this third heaven idea. Why is it there? Because somehow the experience Paul had in prayer was deep and rich. And there's this teaser that says there's, there's something more for us to explore. And it's not, the, it's not the things that we're doing that we're exploring. It's this opportunity and relationship. I met this, um, we were, this friend of mine, friend of mine uh, and I were sitting in my living room. My kids were little. Uh, Carlene and, and uh, the kids were at the park. I have two kids. They're now 19 and, or 20 and 22. They came home. They were just little. Uh, we were sitting in the living room, my friend and I, and uh, the kids came running in. They saw me. They yelled my name. Remember when they used to do that before they were 20 and 22? And, and they came over and they put their arm. Like, it was beautiful. Like, it was one of those moments that just stuck in there. And, and uh, they kissed me and hugged me. And then as quick as the tornado hit, they ran out of the room to get food or whatever. Uh, my buddy looked at me and he said, I wish I had that with my kids. And so I asked him, what do you mean? He said, well, I wasn't raised that way. You know, my parents are really British, and we just weren't that way, and I just wish I... And we had this conversation that sounded something like this. Not only can you do it, you need to do it. And we talked about why you need to do it. But his language was, my upbringing, what I have been taught, and my personality just does not allow me to be that kind of affectionate. And I think about worship, and I think about prayer, and sometimes my upbringing... And my personality keeps me from... Because I'm an introvert. And I don't sing. So worship is a stretch for me at the best of times, you know. But I don't want to be limited in my relationship with anybody. With my wife. With my kids. Because of my sensitivities. Or my personality. Or what I've been brought up with. Because there's more. There's something rich, right? In our relationship with God. And it's deep. And it's layered. So when I look at my prayer life and I think about the Pharisee, I think, what is it that I do that I've only ever been taught to do? Because maybe there's more. And I look, at the, I look at the tax collector and I have this picture. And there's humility in that picture. As if the starting place of prayer is humility. Which leads us to that Chronicles passage that you all know well, right? If my people who are called by my name, would do what? Would do what? Humble themselves. And pray. You know, um, 
I'll forgive their sins, I'm going to hear from them, and I'll heal their land. If the church did that. So prayer then is this, it's this entering, you know, this coming into the presence, understanding that it's not just about, what a small God, if all he ever is about is filling my life, making my life better. What, what a small picture of prayer. The journey is bigger than that, and it's us entering into him. And then it's not just entering into him, it's entering with this resolve that he longs for my presence. I love that. And there's grit that we're invited into. There's this mystery of come and come and come and don't give up. There's a resolve in prayer. And then there's this piece about prayer is more than words, right? What if we didn't say amen? What if we lingered in that? And what would that look like as church family together? I want to I pray the blessing of more uh, pursuit of prayer into your church life. I hear you're talking about that. You're starting an initiative, you're a team or prayer in the church life? Both? Oh, yeah. So I'm going to pray that that's what you dig into because I think the answer to our neighbors coming to know Jesus starts with gritty prayer. So can I pray that way with you? Okay, let's pray. Father, I... I don't remember if I said thank you to you for the experience I had earlier on in this communion time. I thank you for that. I thank you for what this group of brothers and sisters did together. I thank you, Father, for your word. I thank you for this, um, this parable about this woman, for the grit that she so shows, the resolve that just reminds us of the opportunity we have, the responsibility, actually, we have the Pharisee who can represent us and the tax collector who invites us to not say amen, to humble ourselves. I can imagine what that would look like in my family life. I can imagine what that could look like in church. That if your people who are called by your name would just humble themselves and pray and seek forgiveness and you'll forgive us our sins, you'll hear from heaven and you'll and you'll heal our land. We want all in on that. So it's in Jesus' name we're going to pray. Amen. Amen.